everybody. This week, I'm on the road. I'm in California. Uh, there's a bunch of things going on out here car-wise, and of course, I love cars, so this is what I'm doing. The one big thing I can't really talk too much about because we're going to be photographing a new, what we hope will be a big annual tent pole for Haggerty Media. While I'm out there, I'm also going to visit some of the places I love. I'm going to Singer Shop, and I'm also going to do my first uh, attendance to something called King of the Hammers. Uh, this is a uh, it's an off-road race outside of Los Angeles that has one of the toughest courses ever. That's why they call it King of the Hammers. And it's, it's a really famous uh, climb up and over this rock outcropping. I remember back when I was at Road and Track, we first did a story on this because it was just sort of emerging. It was about 10 years ago, and I sent a guy named Max Print out there, and he just wrote a terrific story about the madness of this event. And, you know, when a lot of desert racing was moving to Mexico and not, it wasn't really permitted in the U.S., these folks found a way to do it, and it was exciting. And the, the kicker of it, I remember so clearly, this guy, Chris Cantle, he shot this photo of this four-wheeled, desert buggy thing coming up over a rise and behind it was this helicopter and it just just seared in my brain what a just a crazy exciting dramatic event this is so i'm excited to see it i'll be staying in this area they call with all these vendors and trucks and everything called Hammertown. so it's almost like i think it's kind of like burning man for off-road racers so i'm really looking forward to it but so in the meantime we're really getting into buying season. We're getting ready for the driving season. So it might be time for you to look at purchasing your, your next classic car. So I've invited Ramsey Potts to come talk to us. Ramsey is a super knowledgeable, fun person who is uh, really heavily involved with Haggerty Marketplace and the Broad Arrow Auctions. So he's been buying and selling cars for people for you know a decade at least. Knows everybody, knows where cars are, really fascinating. I sold my Mustang uh, with the Haggerty Auctions about a month ago and a lot of stuff that i was thinking about was like having a reserve price you know what the photos were what should i do to the car to get it ready he coached me on a lot of that stuff and it was super interesting that all the psychology he knew about people's buying and selling habits and i wanted him to come on the the show to share with us some of those tips to help you make better decisions so i'm going to be out west for a couple of weeks but this show will continue you'll see it next friday as well and in the meantime i hope you enjoy Ramsey Potts. Hey, I am here today with Mr. Ramsey Potts. He is VP of Sales for Haggerty's Marketplace. Now, Ramsey's got a fascinating career because he turned a passion into a career. He spent decades in the health insurance space, but he's been a lifelong car enthusiast. And he turned his side hustle, which was consulting on buying and selling of cars, into a full-time gig. Um, you know, Ramsey frequently espouses his views on the market. He's helped hundreds and hundreds of people find the car of their dreams, which I think has got to be kind of fun on its own. Now, I really worked closely with Ramsey when I sold a 1986 Mustang GT on the Haggerty auction. Now, I've sold dozens of cars over the years, and I thought I knew what I was doing. I really did. Uh, but no, uh, I got schooled by Mr. Potts in the best possible way. And I wanted to pick the brain of the guy who's shepherded all these transactions and learn more and help you to learn more too. So Ramsey, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Mr. Larry, it is always good to hang out with you. You are an officer, a gentleman, and a fast man behind the wheel. Thank you, Ramsey. Uh, Tell my wife. is right there. <laughs> I'm going to have that recorded every time my wife's pissed at me. Like, well, Ramsey says, no, this. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are a wheel man. I, I can. I had trouble keeping up with you on uh, on some of those roads. You are a wheel man. It's horsepower, Ramsey. Well More horsepower never loses. You know that. 
<laughs> so, uh, but speaking of, when is your next race? You're going to be racing shortly. You're gonna, you going to do the Sebring one in March? Uh, no, so I won't do Sebring. I'm probably going to head down and do, uh, Brian Redman has a thing. You've probably been to a target 66 yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's, it's such a great way to, I guess the saying is knock the rust off and, and, uh, get the spring jitters out. So I'll head down there for a day or two. And then I'm not hundred percent sure. There's a lot of great events, you know, Larry, this isn't the topic, but isn't it great to see how much vintage racing IMS has gotten involved and, you know, SVRA and it, and it, it has come so far and it's such a wonderful hobby. It's super fun. The camaraderie is really great. The, the, yeah. the appreciation of history is so fantastic. The cars, uh, you know, they, they have this certain sound and smell and it's, you know, people taking care of them and they're driving them hard. I mean, I love it. I don't know. I just applied to do the Rolex historics at Laguna because they have a formula Ford oh. class and I have a 1978 wow. Gurney Eagle. So I'm hoping I can do that and it's going to cost a buttload. It way kills my yep. racing budget, but I love that track. So I mean, you're basically, you just signed up to play in the Super Bowl is what it amounts to. So bully for you, we'll be there and what, 25,000 other people watching you do it. So that's pretty cool. Well, if, 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 you know, you know, the way these historic races work for the big ones is there's an application process because my car got denied rent sport, my, my cup car, they wanted me to paint it the original livery. Yeah. And I was like, "Uh, okay, I kind of get it. You're trying to do something here, but man, that's like another 10 grand. On top yeah. of everything else, I just like, yeah, didn't come to Daytona with us, Larry. We have a good time down there at the 20, Classic 24. I guess I should do that. Do you like that track? No, I, I, I it doesn't matter. I just love the event. Oh, I mean, okay. it, it's hanging out with all those people at that place for all those days. It's just, I mean, I'd rather race at Watkins Glen. I love that track in mid Ohio. You know, I'm a Northeastern guy, but yeah. man, that weekend at Daytona, it's just, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's my, it's my version of golf tennis. I don't know what I people totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's a great segue because there's one of the, you race a, a 944 turbo. Yep. That, no, just a, a naturally aspirated 944. Okay. This was this one of the ones in the, in the, in the Canadian Rothman series. Is that what you're saying? So, so that's what all of my buddies and, and our colleague Ray Schaefer races. We actually have one that's selling today that's on the Haggerty marketplace yeah. as this is being recorded. Uh, and it has already exceeded reserves. So someone's going to get a new Rothman's turbo cup car. Uh, we work with a race shop that like a lot of them has a speciality yeah. or a particular <laughs> focus, a genre. And he's got five, six Rothman series turbo cup cars, uh, under his, uh, under his watch. It's pretty cool. I tell you what, I remember you told me about these and I was like, Oh, that sounds like kind of fun. And then I was like, I heard the price, they're six figure cars. And I was sort of shocked. And so when the auction started, I was like, okay, this is going to be interesting to see what these are worth. And I think it's the last I saw was over 130. Yep. So then, and, and, and that's, and that's where it should be. It should be a 130, 140 car. We set a world record with one at our Porsche auction back in June of 2023, where all in it, uh, left the sale at $197,000. It was a super exceptional example with low miles and completely unmolested. But Larry, I, I as strange as this sounds, and I'll sort of, I, we're a little bit off topic, but I, I, I want you to think about Not this selling, for a moment. Yeah. I think it is a smoking value at $200,000, one of those cars, because what I would ask you to do is to find, to acquire a, a pure, 
un, I mean, a, a genuine, not even a, a, like, a, oh, this a, sort of a, like a homologation or this was something we did on the side or it was farmed out. Those were Porsche factory race cars that were the progenesis of the whole, what we now know is sort of the cup series car where Porsche took a street car, yeah. seam welded it, sent it off to the race shop, did all the special things. They lightweighted it. Yep. No undercoating. That is a Porsche factory built car for a Porsche factory series. I, I dare you to get one of those. Anything that fits that description, that's easy to drive, manageable, affordable, relatively speaking, for less than 150000 bucks. Well, and the other thing is the rarity. Because I have a cup yep. car from 2008. I think they made almost 1,000 of them. So they're cheap, consequently. Yeah. But those ones you're talking about are really pretty rare, I think, right? They're fun cars. Yeah. There are 39 of them for the Rothman series, and then they did some for series in France. Well, well. Ramsey, how, I mean, it, that is... A, a great price on a, on a relatively new online auction program. So, yeah. you know, I knew when you guys started it and I don't, I've seen so many auction um, uh, sites come and go. One of our guys actually started one, you know, Matt Tussillo started one and that's why I got to hire him because it wasn't going well. He said, it's really hard. And when you guys came on board, I was like, Oh yes, we got the A team. And it seems to be going really well in that you're able to get eyeballs to the cars to get the bidders, to get the strong price, because I had a great experience, too. Tell us how it's going. Well, thank you, Larry, and all of Haggerty Media for probably being one of the most, I don't know whether or not it's red, but certainly one of the most respected uh, outlets for communication in the car industry today. Uh, it has, uh, as I like to say, it is on an ever-increasing uh, uh, upward direction. I, I won't kid you. Uh, and I think anyone that has ever tried to do it will tell hard. you it is hard yeah, yeah, yeah. work. Yes. Uh, and it's not just the consignments or the sales, but as you know, Larry, it's the research, it's the engagement, it's, you know, the back of the house stuff because we are truly unique. Now there's nothing unique about an online auction, but what is truly unique with the Haggerty marketplace is it is a true auction. Somebody said this to me. Wait, wait, wait. Yesterday. Stop there. I don't mean to interrupt you. Tell me what you mean. You said true auction. Like yeah, that's a true a auction. I, so, as a, a, as a, a dum-dum, what does that mean? No, great question. So somebody explained this to me yesterday. And ironically enough, Larry, I'm having a conversation, would never say with who, with an individual that at one point in time was part of an online auction yeah. that was part of the many that just didn't quite make it. Right. And he shared with me a perspective I've never thought about. He said, do you know why uh, there's a large media firm that bought the the most ubiquitous, the, the, oh, the yeah, big yeah. online auction, sure. bring a trailer, right? And they said, because ultimately sites like that, and this is no disparagement, they're, they're publications. And, oh, yeah. and I say that from the perspective it's that content. when you and I were young men, when we bought a car, yeah. we would open up our local newspaper, maybe for you, whatever the paper was for me, and we would look at, and, and we would, you know, then that was our means of connecting with the owner of that car. Yes. And then we conducted a transaction. Larry, if you and I had an issue or an obstacle that we had to overcome with that transaction, we didn't call the newspaper, right? We dealt with that process. And so what has evolved is that publication has gone into an online format where all of the other online auctions, motor car auctions, they, they, they list the cars, they, they advertise oh, the vehicles, right, and man, right, they, right. they do a great job, but that's all they do is they connect the buyer and the seller. And once that transaction, I, I shouldn't use the transaction, once that clock is shut down, 
it is it's a little bit of the wild frontier. Works. It works really well. So but it the platform, it doesn't always work. The, once the auction is over, the platform says, Joe, meet Larry, we're out. Yeah. I see. Yeah. And you don't do and that. With Haggerty Marketplace, we operate under an auctioneers and auction license oh. in the great state of Michigan. By the way, your football's doing rather well up there this year, Larry. Congrats to you between Ramsey, the Wolverines like cars, and the football. Lions. I'm sorry. My life has no room for football. It's only cars. Okay, understood. Well, good for you. But the <laughs> uh the 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 transaction is done as an auction. So Larry, when you go to Amelia in March yep. and you see all of those cars, think of it this way. If you are going to put a car on the Haggerty Marketplace, you are engaging us with the same documentation, the same process, the same safeguards, the same fail-safes, as if you were putting that car in the Amelia Island auction, in Monterey, at Pebble Beach, in wherever it is a world-class live catalog auction occurs, it is the same process. It is the same safeguards. And when you bid on a car in the Haggerty Marketplace, you are signing and it's a big document, actually. Yeah, you know, you had to go through the process. Yeah. You are signing that same document that vets you, that asks you, that that commits you to actually following through on what it is you've engaged to do. Okay. It is a real auction. Can I, I, that all makes sense, but let me just walk through my recent, because I sold a Mustang GT on Haggerty Marketplace, mm -hmm. and I, that's really what I want to dive into. Because the process goes like this. I listed on Haggerty Marketplace. The first thing they wanted was, let's see the title. So they had to see a photo of the title. There were no liens on the title. And then I had to send the title to the office. They hold the title. And then they wanted all the documentation. And they coached me on how to photograph it and what to see and everything like that. Okay, done. Now, we'll get into some of the more tips I got from you I want to talk to. But then when the bidder won, this is the best part. Because I've done, I've won online auctions, bought cars this way. Your next step is like, it's a game of chicken. It's like, well, is the seller going to send me the title first and then I'll send him the money? Or do I send him the money and then the car goes on some transport? Maybe it shows up and it's what I thought. I don't know. Ah. And I've done it and it's terrifying and people do it. But the difference here was the buyer gave the money to Haggerty escrow. Yep. And then when the money's there, it's secure. The uh, Haggerty called me and said, okay, we've got the money. Let them take the car and we'll get them the title. And so they came up and they picked up the car. So it just made such a nice transaction because both buyer and seller, we knew everything was good. Everything was legit. We didn't have to sniff each other and, and wait it out, and which is, that's kind of what you're saying, right? That is exactly okay. very well said. I like the way you put it. That right. Nice. That, that is that the, the bill of sale is created. Yeah. The paperwork is handled. Any state specific related items or fees are baked into, I should say, into yeah. the whole process. We do it by the book. Again, no different than you would if, Larry, your next car is the Ferrari you offer at Amelia Island. It You will find the process to be eerily familiar only it's in a live uh, environment at the Ritz-Carlton versus a live environment on the right. World Wide Web. And this is a whole, I mean, you, you know, in your garage there, you bought that RX-8 on the Haggerty Marketplace for ten grand, yeah. And then there's this Porsche thing. Right now, there's this really great collection of pre-war cars, including um, this Model A Hot Rod, the Jim Wilson collection. That is, I mean, that is the most tasteful Model A Hot Rod I've ever seen. 
It's pretty cool. It's really cool. I, I have a friend bidding on Yellow Peril, and if he buys it, he is committed that we're going to enter the great race. I mean, it's just a it's really cool, cool, which is that Model A Speedster, which is a foolish thing to do, but he, we talk about it. So We did a really good yeah. job. Okay. Now, like I said, I feel like, you know, as a journalist, I feel like I'm an expert in all things, Ramsey. That's my job. I'm a critic, right? You get that. I'm mm -hmm. joking. I'm, you know, you didn't laugh. That wasn't a good joke. Well, I, I mean, do I come you, across I, that way? Holy smokes. I hope certainly not. certainly an expert on all the things you do, Larry, or oh, quite stop. frankly, you wouldn't be where you are today. Well, okay. What I mean, like I'd sold, bought and sold enough cars and I've watched it enough that even online, I thought I knew what I was doing. And, and I remember asking you, I was like, I bought that car for about 12 grand. I put in six or seven. And I don't expect to get every dime out of these things. I expect to lose. I joke, I buy high and sell low, but I have a great time. That is my, I, I'm not afraid to admit that I lose money at these things. And anybody who says they make it, unless they're pros like you, they're freaking lying is my view. Anyway, so I said, oh. okay, Ramsey, I'd like to get a certain amount of money because then I can get it back. I'm thinking about a reserve. And you were really emphatic and passionate about this argument against no reserve. And I want you to have it for the listeners. Why couldn't I do the reserve? Or what is a reserve first? All right. So, so there's a couple ways to answer that. And mm -hmm. what is a reserve? So when a car goes to an auction and we get asked this question a lot and boy, do I make the terrible mistake of assuming that people understand these terms and concepts and, no, and yeah. that's unreasonable. So you have a reserve auction or you have a, a, an auction without reserve is, uh -huh. is the correct technical way to say it. So an auction with a reserve means that a floor has been agreed upon a minimum acceptable value at which a transaction can occur Got it. has been agreed upon. And that is placed on that vehicle. Uh, it is always, uh, uh always held, uh, uh as, as a close uh, secret. And that's simply because, you know, it, it's a little bit, when you go into a dealership or you go to purchase a car in a retail environment, yep. Wouldn't it be nice to know, hey, what exactly did you pay for the car sure. to that dealership or something like that? And that information can be discovered if you dig in, but yep. there are also other costs. You know, you have to be mindful of the idea behind an auction is that you negotiate from the bottom up. And this is how I've tried to explain it to people. What is the difference between an auction and a retail environment? You go into a retail environment, Larry, and, and I'll get back to the reserve, I promise. You go into a retail environment and you see a car. And it says, uh, you know, MSRP or asking $25,000. Yep. Uh, unless they're just these incredible extenuating circumstances, I'm willing to bet that Larry Webster and none of the people that Larry Webster hangs out with have ever gone into that transaction and said, I see you're asking $25,000 for that Jackhawk 9000. I'll make you a deal. I'll give you $25,000, right? That just doesn't happen, Larry. And you go in and you say, I'm going to, I'd like to offer you 18. And then they say, no, but I'll take 23. And you go back and forth and you negotiate from a high down to a, a bottom. That is an acceptable transaction for both parties. What happens at an auction? And it's why I love it. And I think it's just so sexy and I'm a little addicted to it is you flip the negotiation. So when you have an auction with oh. a reserve, you have set the minimum acceptable transaction and the auctioneer is the salesperson, yeah. right? It's that salesperson that you would deal with on the dealership floor yeah. that sometimes says, Hey, I got to go back and talk to my manager. And I don't know what happens back there, but yep. they are negotiating on behalf of the seller to get you to come up. So it is simply a negotiation, a back and forth between the auctioneer and the bidders 
to come up to a acceptable transaction value for both places. I That's see. All it is, an right. auction is a negotiation flipped the other direction. No, from no, a no, 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 no. It's way more than that because you're not yeah. one negotiation with the auctioneer. It's a competition. And if it wasn't for the competition part, that's the whole idea, the fear of missing out. You're trying to get all that going, right? There's all kinds of science behind that, Larry. <laughs> I don't, I promise I'm going to try not, because man, I can geek out on the science. Uh, it's some really, really deep, fun, fascinating all stuff, right. the way the human brain works. But yes, there are multiple people endeavoring to bid. But at the end of it, only one person takes home that Mazda RX-8. And I had to be willing to pay more for it. Think about it this way, Larry, than anybody else on the planet Earth at that time was willing to pay. Because anyone from Topeka to Tokyo can bid on these cars well, when that's... they're in an auction, whether live or online. So that's what a reserve does. A reserve sets that bottom. But you were and... emphatic that I do yeah. not have a reserve. Because I was like, okay. Ramsey, I'm going to set a reserve. And you said, no, 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 you're not going to set a reserve. I was like, wait, what? Tell me. Tell us why. Tell, what did you okay. tell me? Because, and not every car, to be clear, full full caveat for you Latin students, caveat, for full caveat here, that is that not every car should necessarily have a reserve. But if it's, uh, should should be sold without a reserve. Let me say it that way. If you have a car where, Larry, I can dig into the data, and the world is full of amazing data today, and I can tell you, look, the last 132 times that a car like yours, now it's not your car, because there's nothing better than your car. Your car's the best one there ever was, and that's cool. I feel that same thing. When you have solid data that you can look at and you can say, look, Mr. Webster, the last 132 cars just like yours or relatively similar to yours that have come to market. This is apples to apples. Your miles, your condition, your quality, your ownership experience, your records, your history, your provenance. The last 132 examples that have come to market, they have sold for this. They have sold between X1 and X2. They're always an outlier that sells at X7 because Elvis... We're yeah. on a date in it, and there's always one that's going to sell at X minus seven because it's just it's not what it was originally presented to be. Man, yours was a wonderfully predictable yeah. example of a car that the market told us it was going to do this. And I'll tell you, Larry, the other thing, I knew that you would be an engaged seller. There are people that present their cars in auctions and online, and they don't answer a question. They don't engage. They don't get out there. They don't oh, talk about yeah. the car. And you and I in went the back and forth yeah, on well, how to make those comments. Before we get there to the actual auction, so you can get all that data at the Hagerty Valuation Tools, especially if you're yep. a member of the Hagerty Drivers Club, which you can sign up, and that gets you all the data, historical data, so you can kind of see this. And we did look at this, but there was something very psychological about a no-reserve auction. And- I don't want to put words in your mouth, but if I could try and paraphrase it, because I try and explain this to people where you were saying like, that is a signal that this car will be sold. You are yeah. not wasting your time. If you are the high bidder, you win this car, no matter what that high bid is. And then that makes people more willing to bid or something like that. Is that right? Yeah. Oh. I mean, I've never sold a car myself personally at an auction with the reserve because, Oh. I mean, I mean Larry, I'm putting it in an auction. I mean, but it's scary. Ramsey, I got a lot of money in this thing. I'm risking terrifying. it. Terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. I can't necessarily justify that it should be terrifying it because was. 
you and I sell a car and if we lose $3,000, or as in the case when I usually sell them, I lose 10x totally. $3,000 because of how much I've spent on them. Absolutely. My life's not going to change. I don't have to tell my wife, sorry, baby, we're cutting back. No new curtains this quarter. But I mean, it, it's one of these situations where it is terrifying. It is because there's your pride, there's your ego. Uh, but Larry, your car isn't going to sell. If you have a $15,000 car, it's not going to sell for five. It's just not. Well, no the, matter the, what. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I want to challenge that because. I knew, like, judging by the, there's a counter on the, the Haggerty auctions that shows you how many people have seen this. And that yes. was like, and I was looking at all of them and there was so many thousands of people viewing these listings. I thought, well, when that many people have seen it and then they've bid on it, like, what do I think is going to happen? Like some mythical, magical person is going to show up and pay me $20,000 for this car? No, no, no. There's way too much information out there. It is it is what it's worth. And when this many people have seen it, what else are you going to do? Is Do you understand where I'm getting at? I do, Larry. Yeah. You and I talked about before we went live here on air about how uh, right now, as this is being recorded, we're 48 hours from closing our Amelia Island catalog. And I shared with you that in the last 10 days, yeah. I've nearly doubled the number of consignments that I'm bringing and, and the whole company is bringing. And that is because everybody is waiting until the last possible moment where they hope some car fairy comes down from the clouds and, you know, <laughs> cherubims and seraphims bring down sacks of money and they pay them three times what they think it's worth. And suddenly they realize, yeah. I guess, you know, the little car ferry isn't coming. I'm just going to send it to Amelia and sell it for what it's truly worth. Yeah. And that's okay. That's that's all right. Well, 23,000 people viewed my Mustang auction. So Because you were engaged, Larry. That's Well, let's talk about it. But I mean, that. what I was thinking about, like is in the old days when we had our newspapers and things like that, there was no way you were getting tens of thousands of people viewing your listing across the country. So yeah. then, then we get back to the, you know, the idea, the market is what the market is. Like, this is what people are willing to pay for this car. I may wish it was worth more or less, but when this many people have seen it, this many people are bidding on it, well, that's kind of what it's worth. Am I, do I want to yeah. sell it or not? And that's that was just a big eye-opener for me. And and then the other part, which was really fun, was like, you know, when I added new information and when there were questions and when I was engaging with the sellers who were asking me questions, I loved that whole process because I was so... And you coached me on this. I was thousand percent transparent. This is what this car is. It's a driver car. It has warts. The air conditioning does not work. Here are the flaws on the body. I want you to all be aware. So let's have fun buying and selling this together and be friends. And it was a great experience. I had a great time. Isn't that how you'd rather buy a car? Yeah, thousand percent. And and sell a car. And you did great photography. You were engaged. People knew it. And sure enough, Larry, you you know, if 136 of them have sold between this number and that number, yours was the 137th to do exactly what it should have, which was to sell between this number and that number. Now, you, you talk about the Haggerty valuation tools, man, you guys do, all of you, the guys, gals, the whole team, the, the data that you parse and, and disseminate is phenomenal. That range will move up and down. And, and actually, Larry, my hat's off to you. Kudos because you always keep us so informed. Now I am. Oh, well, what's happening in the market? Haggerty media junkie mm, because, you. uh, you guys do, you got some really 
people with some mad skills in their writing. Uh, and you, 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 you send us the, 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 the headlines. Hey, these five cars have pulled back. Hey, you look, look at these goofy things, the best deals that, Hey, the, in, in a slow market, these five have found appreciation. Yeah. You're so good at keeping us informed. But if you follow and you do your homework as those ranges move up and down, it's where your car is going to sell. That is where the car is going to sell. And by selling it at no reserve, Larry, you forced the people who said to themselves, man, I want a Mustang like that. You forced them to look at your car. And now let me geek out for a minute. There is there is this science of possession, right? So when somebody bids on that car, even though it's in an online environment, and maybe there's five days to go mm-hmm. in our 14-day auctions till mm-hmm. it closes, mm-hmm. but they bid on it. You know, you and I in the racing uh, vernacular might refer to this as the red mist. I think most people listening to this know what that is. Win. But we get this red mist, and they 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 put that bid on it, however under market it may be, and they take possession. They take ownership of that car and they go to bed that night and every night thereafter until the auction closes and they envision themselves driving their Mustang through the mountains and going to the Dairy Queen on Sunday and (laughs) being at the car show and polishing it with their grandkid this summer. I mean, they take possession. And when it's no reserve, even the most inane underbid to their mind Underbid means a cheap bid, a cheap bid. Yeah, cheap bid. If even just for a moment, it's their Mustang and they wake up the next morning and somebody's outbid them. And what, Larry, what happens when, when it's happened to you? You're like mad. You're like, oh, you son of a biscuit. You're not going to take my Mustang. And you get in there and you start bidding and you battle. And it's this whole concept and the science of the possession when that auction happens. It's fun, man. It is so yeah. much fun Guilty. to sell a car and watch it happen and to be bidding on a car. And it just it, it's all consuming. Yeah, every time I bid on a car, I mean, sometimes I throw some bids out there and I'm like, then the buyer's remorse is immediately there. Like, I don't need that car. I don't need it. And then somebody outbids me, God, but I really wanted that car. I mean, it's just a total <laughs> head case. I'm like, what is wrong with me? Oh my God, I'm just sitting here crying about a car I didn't even own. <laughs> that's, that's the best part. And that is why when you offered that car without reserve, yeah. the market was going to deliver. And I have this discussion a lot. It sure there, did. I mean, I got a little over 15 for it. And I was thinking that would be the top end, maybe 16. It could go as low as 12 or 13. So I was really pretty geeked with the price. The person who bought it was so excited and it was really fun to hand the keys over because she just loved it. And you know why she loved it? Because I put the Flowmasters on it and it was really loud. And I said, we're in the garage. I'm like, well, we're going to start it. Just watch out. It's really loud. You might want to cover here. She goes, oh, no, no, no. That's why I bought it. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I like this. That is a petrol head for sure. And her husband yeah, was there. She's actually... like, he would never have let me put the loud mufflers on it. I was like, oh, okay. Well, you got your right car. Perfect. That 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 warms my heart. We sold a Mustang, Larry, just uh, maybe two weeks ago. Yeah. And uh, we called the gentleman. I, I was involved in the transaction. And uh, oh man, I, I just tear up a little bit. And this guy oh. just said, "Man, I was so excited to buy this. It was a 2011. I don't think it was, you know, but he paid the right price." Sure. And 
He said, so I've got a 2002 GT and I'm giving that to my granddaughter for her uh, college graduation. And he sent me pictures of it and he already bought the wheel. He bought the wheels for this Mustang before (laughs) the auction closed because it was a no reserve auction and he had them on order. He sent me a picture of the wheels still in the box and it just, I mean, those stories are, that's worth it right there just to hear how. You know, these cars keep the petrol head community alive and thriving. Oh, I mean, that's so touching. I mean, it's like it's a never ending fascination with what these cars mean to people and especially the cars that we we traffic in, because a lot of times it's a trophy, meaning they finally got to a place in their lives where they can buy their third car that they've always wanted. And. You know, we're really spoiled, you and I, because we've been trading cars for decades. But to those folks, yep. it's their thing. And and to help them realize that dream is just, I don't know. And the other thing I love about it is, like, there's so many trolls on the Internet. And, you know, even in the comments section when I was talking about the car, there's they, I think there's something that goes on, Ramsey. Tell me if this is right or wrong. Somebody wants to bid on it, but they don't want other people to bid on it. So then they'll slide in the comments these criticisms of the car that aren't really accurate. And they're just trying to poison the well and and give doubt that these cars aren't that good. And that sort of happened to me a little bit. And then luckily the other commenters jumped in and were like, well, no, not really about that. But that is a concern, isn't it? It is. I, I, you know, that, that is unfortunately an element of the hobby. Yeah. You and I don't understand it. We don't operate that way. Uh, our mothers raised us right, but I, I don't, I don't understand that. And it does happen, but you know, Larry, I, I, well, I'd like to use a term, but those people, they, they are in the online environment. Sometimes I wonder if they're not, you know, 14 year olds in their mom's basement, uh, and they just want someone to listen to them. But even at a live environment, Larry, there will be someone oh. who just wants to be heard, who just oh, interesting. wants someone to think they know, and they'll hover over a car and say, well, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the wrong uh, gas cap. Yeah. The, uh, the muffler bearing on that should be bronze. And I see it's only uh, chrome plated and what, and, and I, I think that the real enthusiast, you, me, and all the cool people that we like to hang out with, I think they see through that. Okay. I think they understand it. All right. Well, I hope so. I mean, there's a lot of great information that parses out of that too. You know, especially in my car, 86 was the first year of this sort of fuel injection system that got it more power, but it still had the four eye headlights and this didn't change. And, you know, somebody brought up like this piece is broken, but here's where you get the new one and it's not that expensive. And yeah, those wheels uh, that, that, that are there that aren't dented, that's pretty rare. But, you know, you've got some issues here. So overall, it was super positive. But it was just one of those things that I noticed that always kind of never happens when you're with somebody face to face. But it you and I talked life. about this, though, Larry, and yeah. you were very receptive how some of them you engage, some yeah. of them you just don't. Some of them you say, thank yeah. you for your interest. Let's, you know, next question. The, yeah, I guess it's and not you the car for you. So well, we talked about, you know, how you try and get the comments rolling and there is a, a certain way that you can control them. Hey, Larry, I'm a little curious. We, we, I haven't asked you this. You sold the Mustang. You did a great job. Yeah. There's a hole in your collection. What have you replaced the Mustang with? What, <sighs> what's, what's either on its way or already there That's that you're fans and listeners want to know about okay it's not very exciting you know i'm in i'm three years into a restoration of a 
uh, Dino 308 GT4. So it's <laughs> really Larry. None of us knew. <laughs> <laughs> Which you can go see the Haggerty Media. It's uh, it just got painted, but it's it's been frustrating because of how long I've had to wait for people to do the repairs and services that I want. But ultimately, it'll be good. So I have that in the background. So what I did was. Um, you know, I got this idea, Ramsey, that the car, one of the cars I love driving more than anything, and that I always think no matter anything that happens, right, uh, some financial disaster happens. This is a car I can always keep, will always be fun, will always satisfy me whenever I turn the key, that I'm afraid are going to go up in value. And it's a first-gen Mazda Miata. And hear me out on this. And you you can gut check me on this one. They made first gen, very first NA. Yeah, okay. NA. It's All a right. 1990. They made 50,000 of these things. I really like the silver color. They came in silver, white, blue, and red. They're, all of them were red. I, I also have an old red one that's beat up that my kids drive, and I wanted just a nice one forever. Now, Wasn't there a yellow one in there briefly? Yeah, that was like a special year? edition a few years later, but okay. the four basic colors. The fewest were the silver. I really like the silver. It's understated. It okay. fits. A, I'm going to be a silver fox here soon in the next six months, so I want to get ready. <laughs> anyway, um, I was thinking they made 50,000 of these cars, but if you go, they're super cheap. The, the 15 grand will get you the best Miata in the world. 10 grand gets you a really, really nice one. The generation that bought those things brand new, put them in their driveway for, or their garage, didn't really drive them that much. They have well under 50,000 miles. That generation is starting to uh, die off. So the cars are just coming on the market. The people who are buying them are kids. Now, this is fantastic. This is a cheap, expensive, fun car. If you go on the Facebook Miata groups, all everybody's under 30. They love it. They mod the heck out of them. They do this. Sooner rather than later, there are just going to be few of these things in unmolested original condition around. And I wanted to snap one up while I still could. Huh. So I paid okay. $11,000 for a 35,000 mile silver Miata that had one owner. Whoa. Yes. Okay. And I and it was well also local. Paid, Mr. Webster. So I could pick it up. So we're, it was in South Bend, Indiana for its whole life. A professor owned it. A Notre Dame professor. And then somebody bought it, you know, cleaned it up a little bit. And then I, you know, so they made a little money on it, but that was fine. So I bought it for 11 grand. And I thought, yeah, this is, I never, my son, my, my, my 21-year-old son, cynical as all hell, you know, his old man doesn't know anything. Even he gets out of it to me out. He goes, I'm always happier when I get out than when I got in. What else do you need to know? <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. That pretty much, the answer is always me on it, it right? Is. There you I, go. I hate that it is, but it is. I don't, I don't. I don't know that I, I fully. What, what what where was the flaws in that explanation? And there are no flaws. Let's let's call it that way. It's what I like, so I, you know, it's just what I like. Yeah, great. Okay. Then it makes you happy. Yeah. Then that's really all that matters. Yeah, of course. I, just don't let your heart be broken if twenty years from now they're still worth the same thing. Oh and, no no no! I, I won't be. Okay. I'll be thrilled. I was just like, well, maybe I should I should get one of these. You know what I didn't know? I didn't. This is like. When I get the fever, Ramsey, I'm really, I'm really, uh, reckless. And what I mean by that is I saw this car. It had some chips in the paint around the <laughs> gas filler. And I didn't really look at it that much. Yeah, yeah, fine. I get it home. I find more chips in the paint, like where the fenders both in. I find out that the silver color was, uh, was wrong from the factory and that the, that paint just chips off no matter what you do. You mean it was the wrong color silver? No, it's the or? right color silver. They had a problem at the factory when they were applying it. So okay. every silver car is going to have this problem. So I bought the one color where the paint is going to deteriorate. Like it's going to need a paint job. And of course, the paint job's 10 grand and up. 
So I've doubled the value of this car that's only worth 2000 Yeah. So a lot of flaws in this logic, but I love the thing. I can't wait to drive it. I'm going to tow it out to my family in the East Coast when I'm there for a week just so I can drive it on the good roads. No regrets. I, I, you know, so the first thing that comes to mind when you say that to me is as a guy in his mid fifties, my first car was an MGB, right? And, uh, and how many of my generation, you know, it was either a Volkswagen Beetle or if you were the sporting set, you had an MGB. (laughs) And I guess, you know, that car truly, the memories, the joy, the work I did on it, I'd engine out, rebuild headers, brakes, whatever. And, you know, so I got from 50 horsepower to 57, Nice. Uh, you know, really, it was probably the best decision my father ever made to put me in the car because to go 60 was nearly impossible. But on that logic, because I made a lot of B's, right? If there were a unmolested, flawless MGB, a 1980 MGB available today, I mean, then, oh, shouldn't it be a $100,000 car? It would definitely be more than what most MGBs are, but I don't know that relative to the value of money then versus now, I think it would still be a very affordable. Look at TCs, TDs, TFs from my father's generation. And they're still, they're still, yeah, they're twenty to thirty thousand dollar cars. You yeah. could show me a hundred MG TDs, and I can tell you this one's twenty, this one's twenty one, twenty two, twenty three, all the way up to twenty nine thousand. Yeah, I didn't. I don't think. I don't think it's going to appreciate. I just thought it might be hard to find something that low miles and that amount. Oh, That's what I very thought. Very hard to find. It's going to be harder yeah. as time goes on. So I thought I better grab it while I have it, and then. You know, it's like I said, it's it's not something that you need to sell because it's not worth anything. So you could just keep it forever. And that's the plan. So that's what I do. You know, you know how we have those moments in our lives usually associated with some tragedy that we never, ever, ever forget. And we can tell you where we were and what we were doing. I can tell you the day, the day I can tell you who I was with. It was in California on a trip with a buddy of mine from Germany, a classmate. And I can tell you what he and I were wearing and I strolled into that Mazda dealership. And frankly, at the time, you know, being a Porsche petrol head, a Jaguar guy, a big yeah, sports yeah. car guy, I thought really, you know, these little things that, what is it? The best British sports car, the Japanese ever built. 100%. And I got in it and drove it. And I can, I remember the day in Southern yeah. California where I was like, Oh my word, this car it's phenomenal. There's it is an about absolutely it. exhilarating car. Yeah. I mean, I love, you know, in my journalism, like back in my car and driver days, I got to spend some time with the Monza engineers and to hear them. I mean, it was always so frustrating because they spoke Japanese, which I don't, it'd be through a translator to hear the, the, the lengths that they went through to get the feel of that car, the way they wanted it, you know, what the forces were through the steering wheel, what the shifter was, the relationship of the brake and the this and the that. And then, you know, what, what, what actually the, the forces that came through your hips and where, and you're like, wow, did you guys really think about this? And I mean, you could tell they were very serious and very proud. And the other thing I think people don't realize is how durable those cars are. Yeah. I raced one for like seven years. You cannot kill them. Like, I think we blow up a diff once. And otherwise. I raced them in the, I raced the NABC NC cars, yeah. uh, for two years. And I mean, I remember thinking after five or six races, I'm like guys, don't we want to replace the brake pads or something? Right. And they're like, no, nah, it's fine. Just it's keep fine. going. Just so keep it going. was, it was an incredible. Larry, I have a question because I say this to people and maybe I really should just shut my pie hole and not, but I will say to people when they sometimes ask me the question, you know, what do you think has been one of the most important sports cars? 
in the modern post-war era? And I probably can answer that a couple different ways. Mm. But the one that always sort of punches them between the eye is I will say the Mazda Miata. And oh. and then I'll sometimes focus and say they were probably the car that maybe didn't single-handedly save sports cars in America. But I think they did a lot to keep the concept of a convertible uh, alive. You know, we yeah. were coming out of that nader era and sure. the melees and convertibles really weren't either accepted or built or offered uh and all of a sudden this car came along and man it just it changed the whole scene i i, mean, I just i think the car needs to be credited with saving sports car driving for you and me thousand percent do you remember in 1989 when we started hearing about it, it was thirteen thousand dollars and you know your head was about to explode because yeah the mgs left our shores in 1980 and the only convertibles really around were those K cars and a Jeep. And oh, yeah. what are you going to do with that? And, you know, the British cars, especially when they started getting all those emissions equipment, they became more and more unreliable. Yeah. And that industry went down. So what are your choices? Maybe a 911 convertible, which nobody could afford. And, you know, the, the thing that was so, it, w- it would have been so easy to get it wrong. Because if you remember, Lotus came out with one very seriously, the uh, Elan front drive. Yep. Miata's rear drive, they kept it really pure. And then that that Ford Capri or Mercury Capri, same basic. I mean, if you looked at them side by side, like, oh, kind of the same car. A thousand times different. That Capri is a heap of crap compared to Yeah, they never made it. They never, never made, made it. it. Now, good. You have filled your Mustang void with a very, very special happy, happy, joy, joy drug. So I'm very happy to hear that you have done that. We're all rooting for you on the Ferrari, Larry. Uh, you know, I'm my money's on. 2029 it'll be done by then so i hope i hope i don't win it could be you know it really could be at this stage and um i'm trying to gear up for this i'm trying to get okay with it i'm trying to you know be at peace with it but the you know the fact is um the especially around here the number of painters that'll take on a project like that is so small and i had one who was doing it and he passed away so then i had to find another one so it's just been a lot of like stuff that's a little bit out of my control, but I did this uh, five or six years ago. I pulled a 69911 out of a barn and it didn't need as much as this, but man, I had that thing running in a year. I did the same thing, took it all apart, had some body work done, put it back together. This one, it's just, and I, it, it, it hurts too because, you know, I paid 25 grand for it. I knew I was going to pay more, but I just really want, I love it. And I wanted to make it the way I want it. And I want to drive it. And I think that's what's, you know, every year I'm like, I'm not getting any younger. I got to drive this car now. So I'm not sure everybody realizes you're an engineering, uh, an engineer by your training. So of course you should have had this car up and running uh, uh, quickly. But but, but you guys fun. see that? Like, what do you see in the? You know, because you're a lot of the cars that you work in have been restored. You yes. probably have a network of people that you can refer folks to to get little repairs yes. done, right? So. Yes. For you, since you work with these folks a lot of all the time, you bring them a lot of business, you get higher priority than somebody like me that shows up once every 10 years, right? Uh, Yes, I would. If only I had the cars that they would even consider working on, Larry. (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) It's simply a case of, I I love, and there's a couple shops 
uh, you know, if anybody ever calls me and says, hey, I've got a Ferrari and it's in this part of the country. Hey, I've got a Jag. Where do I send it? I really, really get a lot of joy out of that. And that's part of what we do as car specialists. People think it's just consigning cars. Oh, no. It is helping manage. Sometimes it's transportation. Obviously, now being part of the incredible Haggerty family, take a lot of pride in, in, in getting them properly insured and protected. And that's been a big part of what happens on Haggerty Marketplace. But for the most part, I have neither the cars that would fit in uh, their uh, work order, uh, and nor do I have the resources to pay the uh, somewhat confiscatory bills that those types of cars deserve. When you get your first Duesenberg, Larry, we've got a shop right there just outside right in of Detroit, yeah. and they are the best in the world. So I'll tell you what. Okay, you bring up something that, that – uh, there's like what's that game when you like turn over a card and you see what's underneath it and then there's like five or six cards or no there's like 12 cards that are all turned over and you try and match like okay that's a club and i'm going to turn over this one and then it's not a club because um i threw off handed to you one time like god i'd really love one of those uh gurney trans am yes. cars like and then i think it was like an hour later like yeah i know where one is like you could probably buy it i was Whoa, Ramsey! Hey, hey, I was just talking to Smack, man. Don't, don't put me down on this. I don't have that kind of ch- change, but that's a big part. Like you seem to know where you guys seem to know where every car is. So at some level, people can call you and say, "I'm looking for an XYZ," and then you'll find it for them. Yes, we will. And it's actually it's funny, Larry. You, you say that, and and it was fun to have that interaction with you. And I think Ken On was involved in that a little bit. I have some friends that over the course of the years, this is what I think now, maybe year eight or nine for me in in the industry as a full-time yeah. uh, professional. And I have some buddies, and they're my best buddies, and over the course of the years, I've had to tell them, okay, let's have an understanding. Stop calling me <laughs> when you go and you get your magazine and say, oh, man, Ramsey, I really want one of these yeah. because – my job is to find it for yeah. you. And I would do that. And then they would be like, whoa, I, I was just dreaming. I wasn't actually buying. So, <laughs> yes, that is part of what we do. The Broad Arrow Group that Haggerty acquired, we're now part of that family, consists of three unique parts, right? There's Broad Arrow Capital, and that's when you have a unique set of collector cars of significant value, and you want to finance those or equitize those. That's a part of what we do. And then there is obviously the auctions, both live and online, which are so much fun and the most visible part of what we do, the most you know externally visible, but the private sales. And I know that you and I have heard McKeel and others of us in Broad Air yeah. talk about this. That is a big, big, big part of what we do. Big in both uh, value and big in actually quantity. And I, I would probably really add big in quality. When we do what we call, we use the term private treaty, which is uh, a private real fancy treaty. way of saying direct sale. <laughs> it's like, uh, <laughs> that's really all it is. But it sounds so delicious when you uh, say it's, it's like, private treaty, Larry. Of course. Uh, so we, we private treaty cars where yeah. you say to me, where a client says, you know, Ramsey, I have a hole, I have a, a void, I have a gap in the collection, I would like to fill it, this is what I'm seeking. Oh, okay, I'm engaged, so now what I do is I'm like, okay, let's drill down. And this is probably, at some point in time, the conversation you and I had, which is, what is your budget? Tell me specifics. Are you looking for this color, this era, Roadster, this, whatever? Do you want miles? Do you want to restore it? Do you want it to be jewelry? You know, give me all of these parameters, and we keep coming back. What's your budget? What's your budget? What's your budget? Well, you know, find me the right car, and I'll pay for it. No. What is your budget? And that's our way of determining the level of true commitment you have to it. Mm. And then 
Larry, because, uh, and, and I'm not unique when I say this for me now, last year was a little bit, I didn't travel as much, but it's pretty reasonable for me to spend between 150 to 200 nights a year in a hotel somewhere in the world, mostly in North America, but almost every year involves a trip overseas. And that time is spent very little of that time is actually spent sitting down with a customer or a client eye to eye and saying, what would you like to sell at Amelia? What would you like to sell a marketplace? It's asking them the questions. What's in the collection? What are you having fun with? What do you walk out into the garage and say, ah, the battery's dead. I haven't driven it in three months. And mm. then we talk about how, what kind of, do you, yeah, you have enough space? Do you have, uh, you know, I have a client right now. I've just started the process of working with them. And they're not going to be selling any cars at auctions, but they have 126 cars. Oh, in my five gosh. And I'm like, are you enjoying this? Are, are, you know, when you go to these five barns, do you say, I can't wait. I'm going to go to all five barns and drive them. And, you know, he's like, no, I can't stand it. I can't help myself. I'm addicted. What do I do? Wow. So now I know what's in his collection and we will start to. We will start to take him past this tipping point where he goes from quality, excuse me, quantity to quality. Wow. So he says to me, I've always wanted a real, true, honest to goodness, early Shelby GT350. And he, I, I dug a little deeper and we quizzed him and we, and he's like, you know, I'll admit to it. I'm a little overwhelmed and scared of the concept of a Duesenberg, but I'd like to get one, but I just, I can't imagine spending a million dollars on a car. And I said, well, that's funny because in this barn, you have 1.2 million and that barn, you you've got, got 800,000. And in this barn, you got a solid half a million. Yeah. And he's like, well, when you put it that way. So what we have to try and do is turn, you know, 26 of those cars into one Duesenberg Amazing. or 11 of these into one Shelby GT350. And that's where the private sale. So that's why as a car specialist, I'm never home. I am on the road all the time working to develop the client relationships we have, whether they go to auction or they go to private treaty. That's how Amazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine having all the cars, but super cool. Can we do a lightning round? Cool. Let's try it. Okay. I'm going to light you up with an easy one. Okay. Corvette C4s. Are they an upcoming, the value going up, down, staying the same? What's your I've sense on that? I've changed my mind. I don't want to play this game. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think there is a lot of opportunity for a certain a generation of collectors I, I really do think, and you know, man, Larry, I don't like to do this whole, it, you know, what's it worth in the future thing? I don't have a crystal ball, but look, the ZR1, when it came out in the C4 era of car, that's one of those cars that sort of fits those bills where it was not just an evolution, but a revolution. Now, today we look at it and, you know, my Mazda probably could have that much horsepower, but the idea at the time was that the car was, it really was a revolutionary machine. And, you know, when it came out, it was like, oh, wow. Yeah, I think the C4 Corvettes, as that generation uh, grows older and hits that period of time where they're at their peak earning years and they want to get a new drug. Right. Yeah, I, I do. I think a C4 Corvette in good condition is going to be a good play. Okay. Yeah, this one, I... This is something I've been wondering about. I, I suffer from it as well, but there's a Porsche fetish right now. <laughs> you know, the, the cars are super expensive. I mean, I think some of the early era cool cars got a little softer, but, you know, all these different special versions. Now there's a Safari version. Now there's this. I don't see a scenario in the next five, 10 years where that fetish kind of cools. Do you? 
No, I yeah, don't. Yeah. And you know, Larry, I, I, I'm not a 911 guy. I've owned almost every transaxle Porsche that they make. Yeah. And I race one. But whatever you think of Porsche, whatever your opinion is of that market, and, you know, it's a true love or hate thing. And the love is white hot love and the 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 unlove is usually white hot unlove for the car yeah look at what they have done they do it right think about the motorsports involvement that they engage in and for sure. the way that they promote the cars and the way that they build that culture yeah. of owning one of these is truly a special special thing uh, said said this to someone yesterday. So he's on the phone with me. He's like, I'm going to get one of these cars. And it was, you made the observation that it was one of their special, right? Paint to sample GT cars. And uh, they said, you know, it's probably going to be one of the last examples they ever built like this. I made the observation to them. I said, let me, let me, and he's like, do you think that's a good idea to buy that as a long-term investment? Or do you think it's a really rare thing? I said, I want to put this in perspective for you. Now, I don't know if this is accurate, Larry, but about a year and a half ago, during my little garden leave time, I had some fun and I looked at manufacturing numbers of one of my favorite brands, Aston Martin. Oh. And then I looked at another brand because in the last few years, Ferrari, you know, they've been in a real state of flux because you remember that time when Montezemolo, there will be 7,000 cars because yep. people want 7,001. And now all of a sudden, Larry, they're making a crap ton of cars, right? Yeah. Marchione <laughs> so, said, and forget it. We're going to 10,000 and beyond. But even with that, now, this number has changed, so give me a week or two of flexibility. When I did the analysis, just on my own, Porsche makes in 41 days what Aston Martin and Ferrari make combined in 356 days. Exactly. So, Porsche is making the cars people want in the number that if you want another one, they'll make another one for you and they'll, I, I, they'll do what has to be done to sell that. And they're the most profitable car company in the world. As I, a result I, of I, it. I, we're agreeing. We're in vehement yeah. agreement. I mean, there's something yeah. going on with that brand and those cars that is, uh, is not rational, I guess is what we're saying. I do not see that passion. I do not see that, 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 whirlwind ever abating i just i don't i mean they just they're going to go to daytona this weekend and roger penske's racing their cars and it's yeah i mean it's i mean look i'm guilty i have three of them i have three 911s and wow do you I, really I love, Larry? I love them i love them i love them the, the thing i find so fascinating my, i have a 69 and luckily my neighbor had a, a beetle that was sitting in his garage for about 10 years i said you know what are you gonna do with that thing he's like i'd really like to sell it i said okay i'll help you and we pushed it over to my house and I got it running and I took out the interior and stuff like that. And so I worked on those a lot. And the similarities between my 69911 and original Beetle are so close. Like, I'm like, this yep. is a fancy Beetle. Trust me. It's a fancy Beetle. And the DNA is, is evident. It is evident. And, you know, for what those trade for. But on the flip side, you know, the 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 way that they were constructing those cars even in 1969 is head and shoulders above everything else from just the, how solid it is, how reliable it is, how fun it is to drive. So I understand, you know, if you want something old and unique, but you also want to drive it there, there's not a lot out there. Plus the parts availability. I mean, there, there's a lot of rational reasons for the popularity of these things, but there's a lot of irrational reasons too. And I guess that's what makes them fun. 
It's, you have a better perspective on this than probably most people in the hobby, because what did you just say moments ago? I bought a 911, pulled it out of a you know, did, barn, and 12 months later, it was running. I've had a Ferrari for three years, and it just got painted. So, I mean, <laughs> they are Ferrari's fault. <laughs> they are in their different vehicles. Listen, why do I race one? I, I would prefer to race a British car, but for the most part, they're terrible. And yeah. with a 944... I have, I have, I've broken very little with the car. It's just, it's like, I call it my German Miata, but if something does break, there's a terribly good chance at a recent, at a reasonably popular race, I can go out in the parking lot and probably pay some guy for the mirror and put it on my car and go. It's it's affordable racing. Yeah. So what are you thinking about? You know, we, we had Dave Kinney on here. We published a lot of stuff on Haggerty Media about the, the year ahead. And, you know, we're in January, we're recording this, the auctions are going on right now. Kissimmee, yeah. you know, they tried to sell 4,000 cars. They moved a lot. A lot right. of stuff went for um, well above what was in our price guide. So there'll be some adjustments there. So our, the conclusion was there, even though the market's cooling from the, you know, bananas of the pandemic era, it's still like, it's really strong. It's just getting a little more reasonable in terms of buying and selling so everybody knows what everything's worth is that about a good summary in your eyes i uh, my favorite term nowadays larry and boy i use it a lot is we are in what i believe and i think Kissimmee, i think arizona is going to yeah. i believe i'm prognosticating that arizona is going to validate these comments and i think amelia I can tell you from an insider's perspective, the way the consignments have gone with Amelia, I absolutely believe this, that we are entering a healthy market. And what I mean by a healthy market is a number one car is going to sell for a number one value, a number two car for a number two value, a number three, a number four. And and there was a period of time I called, I frankly, I called 2022 the year of miracle living, if you were a car (laughs) collector, because... Your number three car was selling for a number one value, and it was completely whacking up the market. And yeah. auctions were having 99% sell through and stuff. And that's that's not really healthy. That's not he- healthy is where any world-class auction has a sell-through rate that basically starts with an eight. 89 would be much better than 81. But if you are seeing eight out of every 10 cars go to a new caretaker, that's a healthy market. That means that sellers have a healthy perspective of what their car is worth. And that means buyers are willing to rise to a healthy uh, threshold to take ownership of it. And it means that we're probably at that beautiful point where if you if you did that and you, you, you bought it right now and you own it for a few years, a few years from now, if we're still in what I call a healthy, stable market, yeah. you're probably going to be able to get back out of it, uh, uh, you know, assuming all things are equal and say, wow, what a great time that was. I'm very, very, very excited about where we're going in Amelia. And here's a perfect example. You look at our, now, granted, in all fairness, last year at Amelia Island, Broad Arrow Auctions, it was their first Amelia auction. And I believe we had approximately 90, 91 cars that we offered. And we had 81% sell through. So it was right on target. But now you enter this year. Yep. And Larry, I, I, I don't have the final count, but I, I'm pretty comfortable in saying that we're somewhere going to have between 125 and 135 cars. Now, that's wow. quite the significant uptick. What's happening? My, my very anecdotal math. So all of you analysts that are listening, don't cut me down. It's just what my gut says, having lived through this, is that it takes 18 months to come off of a year of miracle living. And boy, 2022 was, it was unprecedented. Bananas. Things happen there that we'll never see again. It takes 18 months 
for the sellers from that era to get over their what we call recency bias. This is a real bias. It's recency bias, where you look back at the most uh, the positive or the most uh, uh, favorable experience sure. that uh, is, is similar to what you want yours to be. So that's recency bias. 18 months later, think about it now. We're coming off. This is you know March of 2024. That recency bias has faded, and now the sellers have realized, okay, the year of miracle living is over and my car is not worth that anymore. Larry, I have clients and if they're good clients and we have a good relationship, I'll pull out this very rare phrase. Cause if we don't have a good relationship, they hang up the phone and swear at me or swear <laughs> at me and then hang up the phone. And they say, well, I need to get this for my car because that's what I paid for it. I say, I have a solution. I know how we can do that. And they're Eureka Ramsey. Tell me, build a time machine. We'll go back and I'll get you that value. And that's truly what I say to them. I bet and they love that Ramsey. What I'm saying some don't. But that recency bias has faded. They realize what the cars were. The sell, the buyers that were just, they were out of the market because they were unwilling to pay these ludicrous values because they're smart. They are entering back into the market because they believe, okay, before we went into this year of miracle living, this is sort of where we were. Things are up, but inflation is up. You know, the cost of milk is also 10% more. Right. So this is what that car should cost. That's why we have 130 cars, quite a few of them at no reserve, because we are in a healthy market. You and I are entering a beautiful, beautiful year here in 2024, where I think sellers are going to sell and they're going to be okay with it when it's done. And buyers are going to buy and they're not going to put the car away and speculate. They're going to go out they're going to drive the freaking wheels off of it, Larry. And I think we're in for a couple years where you're going to see eventing, Radwood, Mila Milia, uh, you know, some of the great tours. I think you're going to see participation on those tours at all time highs. And I think you're going to see some of the best cars getting wheel wow. hard on those events. Yeah, I think. Thank you. I think um, I was thinking the same thing. Like when you have sort of a stable market, everybody knows what everything's worth. So yep. it's just a good time to buy and sell. And, um, you know, you said like number one is like the best condition in the world down. These are all grades of condition of a car that you can. Haggerty terms. That yeah, the Haggerty terms the that are on there. standards that, are those Haggerty terms. That have been super duper helpful to sort of get, well, it's a number three cars. You know, most cars are number three. Some are number twos. Very, very few are number ones. And, you know, that's what really the, the, the argument goes on. I, I was kind of, I was losing my train of thought because I wanted to just ask one final question about this. Yeah this market and where it's going, because um, it's it's an interesting place to be in. And um, Amelia is just a month away. Um, we're beginning in 2024, so anything can happen. But, oh, I know what I wanted to talk about. So you talked about speculation. And, you know, like our buddies, the car world is always full of people bragging about how much money they made buying and selling cars. It's horse shit across it's the board. Larry, it's junk. Like, yeah. Like, sometimes I've made a ton of money on a car, and I've lost a ton of money, and all it washes out, I lose. It's just like gambling. Um, but the one thing I, I've come to learn, the people that do make money at this is they add value to the car. So if somebody else had owned my Mustang, what they would have done is they would have detailed the underside. They would have detailed. They would have put a lot of sweat equity into that car meaning they would have totally cleaned the engine bay. They would have got the air conditioning work. They would have totally brought Remember the car. Remember your map light? What? Your map light that was yeah, hanging down? that was hanging. Nobody liked that. Yeah. I couldn't find it. I didn't know how to fix that. So like everybody would have like 
the the someone who's going to make money in that car would have addressed all of that. Wouldn't have been uh, foolish with the modifications like I was. I'm like, yeah, I got to have the full exhaust, of course, duh. And they might have eked out a little bit of a profit with a lot of sweat equity. And that is the way to really, the only way you have a chance of making some money buying and selling cars. Is that fair? Yeah. Listen, Larry, if you're my friend, yeah. let me tell you this. If, if, if you're not my friend, we're just acquaintances. I don't really know you or maybe we, we really weren't getting along and you can do, oh man, I just had this car. I just sold it and I made money. I would just give you a fist bump, say, <laughs> well done, uh, good and faithful soldier. But if I really like you and you're my friend and you say, oh man, I just sold this car and made 10 grand. I am looking you in the eye and calling absolute bullcrap on you. Yeah. And then we're going to get out a piece of paper and a pencil and we're going to put insurance right. premiums garage rental, uh, repairs, maintenance, gasoline, all these, all man, you, by the time it's done, you'll be in tears because your ego will be crushed because you'll realize I barely broke even on the car. Yeah. But like the amount of money that you spent is so cheap compared to anything else you might do. Like to play golf, that's always like, what do you care? What are you going to do? That's as fun. It's as cheap. Nothing, yeah. nothing. Skiing costs money. Skiing's a hundred dollars a day just for the lift ticket. Please, you know. I hear it's expensive. I I don't golf, but I know golf, and some of my clients like to go hunting and shooting. Oh. And I'm like, okay, when you come back from that safari uh, on the other side of the world, you know, is it expensive? Oh man, it's cost more than my Ferrari. How much of that do you get back? Well, <laughs> what are you trying to say? And I'm like, I'm trying to say the point is you did it because it was fun. Yeah. And if you can buy a Ferrari for a hundred and put. 20 in it and sell it for a hundred. Holy Moses. That to me, that's, I mean, uh, it's, it's that's a, the best drug on the market. It just is. I mean, it's totally the golden age. Well, the Amelia auction is the end of February. It's in Amelia Island, Florida. You can actually go and watch it, but you can also watch it online. Check out the Haggerty channels. It's going to be really fun. We're going to be commentating on it. And uh, in between at the Haggerty marketplace, there's always more and more cars for sale and please go check every day monday through friday i really enjoyed talking to you ramsey thank you for all the tips about uh you know making it easier to buy and sell because i always thought the easier it is to sell a car the more i can sample and enjoy it between now and when i die so i really appreciate the service anything you want to add before we go Larry, it's been a lot of fun being a part of the Haggerty family. Everybody hop on the Haggerty Marketplace. Throw some comments up there. Have some fun. Yeah. Tell us what you think. And I just want to encourage everybody, if there's still time, if you're even remotely available to head down to Jacksonville, Florida, Amelia Island, where I live, actually, I'm eight miles from the Ritz-Carlton. Uh, to me, there are basically three events in all of North America, Larry, three events, two you fully understand, one, you're going to look at me sideways. You have to go to Amelia. You have to go to Pebble Beach. And for me, you have to go to the Pittsburgh Vintage Grand Prix. Oh, I want to go uh, to that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it. To me, those are just three of the best events in the world. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, if you can't check all three of those boxes or at least Amelia and Pebble Beach, you need to turn yeah. your car card in. Uh, those, it's just, it's a phenomenal weekend. Even if it's for a day, just come down and see it. It's so accessible and it is so rewarding. Yeah. It's a good point. Cause, uh, I forgot to mention, you know, it's three days of fun. There's a Porsche show on Friday and then there's Radwood and the big cars and coffee on Saturday. So there's all kinds of different cars in between. There's seminars, there's ride and drives. You can go sample cars, there's exhibitors. And then of course the big show on Sunday, which has all the really fancy cars and always a lot of like race cars that you'd never get to see. Um, uh, Rick Hendricks is the the master of ceremony. He's the honoree. So he's never out in public unless he's at a race. So 
Yeah. I agree. That's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. So the classes this year, Pikes Peak. Pikes Peak. I'm so excited. There's a class, Larry. Porsche One owners. I'm I'm so proud of Matt and all of the Concorde oh, team. That'll be fun. So these will be a group of Porsches, and I suspect they're all going to be quite old, probably early air cool car that are still in the possession of the original owner of the car. I am chosen to see that class, frankly, just to talk to the people and hear their stories. Uh, and I got to tell you, Larry, the first weekend in March, North Florida is not a bad place to be. It's room temperature every day. Come on down, brother. <laughs> Thanks, Ramsey. Can't wait to see you down there. Larry, this has been super fantastic. Happy motoring to all of the Haggerty family.